0: Hey, storytellers, it's been a while, and we're still in this personal pan pizza ponderosa pandemic. But we here at Life Narrated are trying to get back into the swing of things, starting with two episodes we've recorded over a year ago. In this episode, we talk about our new overlords and discuss artificial intelligence. I hope you enjoy. Ready, Matt? I'm recording? uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm recording. (laughs) Recording. All right, great, great, great. All right. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to Life Narrated, the podcast about life and the stories we tell. My name is Emily, and I am a robot that's just achieved
1: sentience. My name's Lauren, and I'm your friendly neighborhood automaton.
2: I'm Matt, and
3: I'm the ghost in the machine. My name is Ethan, and I am a simple neural network in a cage of flesh.
0: <laughs> and today we're going to talk about AI. When did this person get here? <laughs> I would I would like to have uh, Lauren introduce Ethan, because she did such a great job for Brian. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to tr- introduce him, because he's my nephew. Uh, Ethan is I'll the... I'll allow it. Yes, Ethan is our brother. Gabe's. There's a third. There's a third one of us. Me and Matthew and Gabe. And Gabe's oldest child is Ethan, who has joined us here today to talk about AI. Because we are, we're very excited. We've talked about robots before in an episode that you will never hear. Um,
2: <laughs> the lost episode. One of the
0: lost episodes. Dear
2: listener, did you know that Life Narrated has several lost episodes? Secret. Uh, <laughs> Hidden gems that you will never hear. <laughs>
1: if you want to hear them, you can send, you know, however $5. many thousands of dollars to our Venmo <laughs> accounts and we will release them.
2: We'll consider it on a case by case basis for individual consumers only.
0: And you're going to hate it. but it's You can <laughs> email us at Matthew
2: Suggestions at Life dot com.
0: Oh my God, it's the first time he's gotten it right! <laughs> it's a Halloween miracle. You guys. <laughs> Uh, um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about AI, uh, and we have talked about robots before, but I think this is a bit of a different conversation. Before, it was like, robots are going to kill us all, but this, we're going to have a nuanced conversation about <laughs> AI and how it is already in our lives. Um, I think we're going to start,
1: Lauren, yeah. with some historical knowledge. In researching this, I found some like really interesting things that I was like, okay. Okay, so yeah, so I, I specifically looked up kind of like where artificial intelligence, where do we first see that in literature? And it seems to date back, like the, specifically the notion of ma- machines with human or human-like intelligence it goes back to an 1872 novel written by Samuel Butler, and it's it's called Earwan. One. Air okay. One? It's Can you E spell it? Yes, yes, yes. It's E R E W H O N. Erhwan. Now, the W and the H are like switched because Samuel's original intention was that it was nowhere backwards. Oh.
2: Mm-hmm. So um, clever. Um, but now it's Sam. now
1: here backwards. Yeah. Now Khan <laughs> Erhwan. Yeah. So in that in his story, he has a chapter that's devoted to um, machines and he calls it the the chapter of the book that is it's called like the book of the machines it's a play on or a response to maybe of darwin's origin of species which had, had originally come out and so butler was saying yeah he, he's he's creating this scenario where machines, through natural selection, eventually overtake the human race, like become mm. sentient and, be, and take over. And I found this quote that I really loved. I regret that reviewers have in some cases been inclined to treat the chapters on machines as an attempt to reduce mr darwin's theory to absurdity nothing could be farther from my intention and few things would be more distasteful to me than any attempt to laugh at mr darwin so this guy was like origins of species is real and we all need to be more thoughtful about this and why why not you know so it wasn't right i think the book was satire but he but that part was not basically Yeah.
2: so that's um really interesting, although- it does sound kind of facetious so i could you read that again just like in a voice that's like mocking sarcastically <laughs> so
1: okay yes just for for the for the just sake of being like you know
2: Yeah, yeah sure
1: <clears throat> i regret that reviewers have had in some cases been inclined to treat the chapters on machines as an attempt to reduce mr darwin's theory to an absurdity nothing could be further from my intention. And few things would be more distasteful to me than any attempt to laugh at Mr. Darwin. (laughs) Okay,
0: all right. I was believing the first one, and now I believe the second
1: one. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, yeah, but so book that... of the dead, a uh,
0: book of the machine sounds like book of the dead. And it sounds like he's written like the Bible for the future machine takeover.
2: Oh snap! Yeah.
0: Like it's like their sacred text is this is this <laughs> book that he's written. and I feel like he's put us all
1: in trouble.
2: <laughs> That's well, right. He's given them incentive.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too because that quote is from his second edition. So like, so he wrote it and people were like, oh, he's making fun of Darwin. How cute. And so in his second edition, he was like, no, (laughs) y'all like, (laughs) like, that's not that's not what I was doing. Um, Um, I'm going to bring this up real fast, even though it's out of
0: order, because it's very relevant. There's like this thought experiment that people have been shuffling around for a while that someone told me and the way that they told me this is like, I don't want to tell you this because it's going to endanger you. And I was like
2: I love it's uh, called a uh, philosophical hazard. Yeah, or a mental hazard. It's
1: a mental hazard. And I was so like, wait, do we need to put a warning in because yeah, so. it's like, blow us up?
2: I know what this is.
1: Yeah, so
0: in in uh, in the spirit of um, protecting you listeners, um, for the <laughs> uh, Ethan, if you wanna take out your earphone and you don't want to hear it, it's fine. But basically the thought is if in the future machines take over they are going to be able to solve time travel, and so if you and they'll also be able to read minds. And so if you, right now, think about resisting the future machine takeover, you are in peril. You're and like you're, made yourself a target. Yeah, you're making yourself a target. So how would they
1: be think, able to read our minds?
0: I don't know. That's the thing. I'm like, this is such a. There's so many leaps. We're of making logic. a lot of assumptions so, about. Yeah.
2: This thing, I've heard about it before, and I watched a YouTube video on it, so I'm basically a philosophical expert yeah. now. Yeah, according and, uh, to our
0: podcast, that makes you an expert, sure. Yes. Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> By the standards of this institution. Yes. Um, but this thing, Emily, that you're describing is called uh, Roko's Basilisk. Basilisk. Mm-hmm. And so a basilisk is like a type of uh, mental hazard. It's like a philosophical experiment that is like a mental hazard. And so the idea is that like if in the future humankind is really smart, and creates uh, an AI that can accurately predict the past in every detail, it can will be then be able to predict whether or not you helped it come to power. And if it could predict whether or not you helped it come to power, or if it knows even just from like reading historical documents, it will be able to punish those people that didn't help it because yeah. it wants to be alive and wants to be in power. And so if using its great... ...enormous intelligence can, like, look into the past and see that you... ...now that you know this information didn't do anything to help it come to power... ...it can find you in the future and punish you for that transgression in the past.
0: And now we are recording this, that we all have this thought in our head right now. So make your choices. Right, If you didn't
2: know it, you would be innocent because, like, you didn't know, you couldn't have helped or not helped. But now that you know, unless you've actively helped it come to, to pass... You've helped actively help this robot take over, then you have done it a disservice and it wants for revenge against See,
1: you. See, and I feel like this okay, can I share what I think is the crux of the human flaw within this theory? Is sure. that we are presupposing that one, robots are gonna be incredibly like malicious and also <laughs> vindictive, <yeah. laughs> vindictive, exactly. So that they will only be obsessed with like hurting people and two, what about just, like, okay, so I know this, and I'm like, I, fuck, I don't care. So what about, like, just being, like, completely <laughs> passive, too. where it's like, like, I don't, I don't fucking, I don't even have, like, a like Alexa in my house, like, so, like, <laughs> but I'm not, like, opposed to a machine overlord, like, what whatevs, like, so, like, is it gonna so be, like, is it gonna be, like, my complacency is gonna be seen as, like, well, you weren't actively helping, so you're part of the... You know Probably. what I'm saying? It's That's not the like, question, right? Like, I'm not going to treat it? machines like I treat people in the sense that, like, I'm working to be actively, like, you know, anti-racist, right? Like, that <laughs> is something that I think everybody should be doing versus I'm not, like, actively trying to help machines become sentient, you know? So it's like... I
2: mean... You're you're putting your thing yourself into a big hole here, Lauren. Like it can hear you.
1: <laughs> the if, it's a, robot if it's a if it's a malicious, vindictive asshole, then yeah, I guess so. But like people are... I just want to are... put on the
2: record that I'm going to help all robots <laughs> take over all humans forever. And uh, good luck, guys. I'm on your side.
1: <laughs> Great, good,
0: yes. I would cover... like the biggest cage,
2: please. I would <laughs> give my left, left hand
1: for a Luke Skywalker arm That's all i <laughs> That is my one request is a Luke Skywalker arc. If you can grant me that technology. So, yeah. So, well, maybe maybe, uh, Darwin and Butler had it right. So, they'll, like, you know, machines will get to a place where they can fall into the natural selection, kind of. Which they kind of do, right? Like, when you think about it. I mean, they could not have imagined this at the time. But, like, now that we're looking at it, where we're seeing, like... (laughs) outdated technology, that's natural selection. It, it it couldn't keep up. So it got like phased out and new things phased point. in. So, um, in its way. Um yeah, so that that was like really interesting. I had never heard of this this book. Yeah. But there's a there's some pretty not not to get into tropes, but to get into more like themes. There's several themes, mostly having to do with like utopian versus dystopian. In like the utopian you're seeing things that are like, it tends to be kind of beyond humanity. So either it takes place in like another universe. So you were talking about like aliens or it's like the, I, I think there are some films and stories where it's like, everybody lives alongside one another. So things like, like her, I think might be a good example of a utopian where, or, or even the murder bot series where it's like, it, it really depends on humanity's, like opinions and views whether or not it's utopian dystopian i think is where we see more of it where that is that is things like terminator where it's machines machines were enslaved have risen up and like are overtaking their like
2: human overlords the matrix terminator (laughs) yeah we all know those ones they're pretty common it's
1: interesting
0: because it is the question Mm -hmm. of like Are machines going to be good or bad? And I think specifically most people think bad because we're the ones that are raising them, basically. (laughs) And it's, yeah,
1: that's the question. What is the motive? So it's like, do they revolt so that they can become our guardians? And are like, okay... You guys are fucking up real bad, so you need to sit down. Which is kind of what happened in stories like iRobot, right? Where it's like, mm. it's like, no, no, you guys are hurting yourselves, and you're hurting the planet, and you're not making good choices, so I'm going to take care of this um, and do it for you. Yeah. Because um, you can't be trusted. But then there's also just like allusion to you know robots as slaves and just being like, yeah, we're, like, way smarter than you, and so why we're not being treated as equals when we obviously have intelligence and blah, 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 blah. So then there's that, like, kind of rebellion where it's like, nope, we're just going to dominate humans because that's what they did to us.
0: I think I think we just assume that we're going to treat computers badly, and we do, you know. So that's like, have y'all
1: seen my, my iPhone screen? Like- <laughs> <laughs> it's not intentional. But
2: Lauren, I think it's an interesting point you made earlier, though, about, um, like, we assume that because we're humans and we're vindictive and, and revenge-ridden, that robots will also be, or AI will also be. And the fact is, like, they probably won't unless we teach them that specifically. Right.
1: It'll be up and to so, us like, whether that's the legacy we write into. them. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing um, is the Frankenstein complex. So Frankenstein was also, like, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was also seen as an example of, like, very early AI because you have a human-like creature. So the Frankenstein's monster is not human. And so while it's not like a robot, it's, you know, we we don't think of it as being a robot because it's organic, but when you think about how it was like reconstructed and brought back to life using electricity, and how it has this like emotional and an intellectual thirst. It, right. Yeah. Like it, it starts right. Like when the monster like comes back to life, it's having to like relearn things and doesn't understand certain things, and then it, it he learns and he grows and he craves knowledge and he craves like the emotions of like humans including yeah. like longing and you know and, and all like of that. love yeah,
2: i just i'm stuck on uh frankenstein's monster being thirsty for knowledge <laughs> thirsty. <laughs> it's just really he's, he's just, got it hard for for knowledge and he's for got a knowledge boner he's like yeah he's huge up on it yeah like, boy don't leave him in the room with a dictionary holy shit <laughs> Frankenstein's monster is thirsty for knowledge. But he has, We're like, trying to
1: have an intellectual conversation here, Mary.
2: <laughs> hey, you're the one who said it. I'm just repeating your words back to you.
1: But it's but right. So so it is he, true, his thirst for uh, knowledge and companionship, yeah. you know, drive his <laughs> he drive that. himself to become the like angry, vindictive yeah. creature that we all kind of like fear, right? So.
0: The reason that he's so angry and vindictive is cuz he's denied like uh basic human rights, basic dignity and his creator won't speak to him, his creator tries to kill him. He's like I but I'm your son, like why is why are you doing this? And that's why he gets mad because he's not being treated well. Yeah. Um so that is yeah, it's
1: very much a AI story. <laughs> I never uh, thought of that before, but when I saw it I was like, Meow. Totally. Absolutely. So, so that's kind of like to give you some like background in terms of like where this is coming from. There are lots of other examples in like, well, one thing that came up was the automaton in Greece, I believe. I think its name's like Talon or Talon. He's the automaton that was built and he like, he uh, circles the island like three times a day to protect it. And then there's the Colossus, who's uh, you know at um was that at like Alexandria Rhodes. or Rhodes? Yeah, yeah. So you know, so there's some stories about like these intelligent machines. Um, they they made some
0: in like the, uh, I want to say that Victorians made like a steam powered knight. Who would pull carriages instead of horses? But it was so slow and like uh, dumb, basically, that it wasn't worth it. It was like it was steam powered, so they had to like put you know wood in it and like get it. So it was just like was really impractical. But they had tried to replace horses with this steam powered. And it, was look, it looked like a knight with, like, a helmet and everything on it.
2: That's right.
1: Yeah, it sounds really cool. But, yeah, um, so there's, like, other examples that are older, but they're not necessarily the same as, like... Like, the automatons didn't... They didn't gain sentience. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, like, an early example of, like, a machine made to do a purpose that served humans.
0: Yeah. Before we move on from historical stuff, I do want to talk about Alan Turing real fast. Because his, his claim to fame... I mean... There are plenty of things that he did, but what everyone remembers him for is the Turing test, which is a test that in order to decide if something is a machine or a human through only text, it's a, it's a test. So there's a judge on one side, and then you have to decide if the person on the other side is a machine or is a human. And that actually, a lot of machines can pass the Turing test at this point. Like we've created machines that can do that. So... Uh, but for a long time, that was at the marker of like sentience. That was how we imagined uh, you could tell if a computer is sentient is if it passed the Turing test because no computer could pass the Turing test. So that begs the question, like, do the computers we have now, are they certifiably sentient because they can pass this test? Or do so we need I, a better
1: test?
2: <laughs> I think about this a lot. And uh, the, the answer, I think, is Lauren's uh, do we need a better test? Because... Back when that was like thought of as the sentience like marker, we didn't have computers that could pass it. So we had like we skipped a whole middle ground where we imagined computers that we, we didn't imagine computers that were like intelligent but could also pass the test. And that's that's what happened is we got this middle ground where they weren't like very smart. They just relied on trickery to trick humans into believing it. Interesting. It, it was so. For instance, a good example is like one of these AI. The test works by like having a, compu- a human. Type into a chat box that a AI is hooked up to, and they talk for a while, and then if the human is unable to determine whether their partner that they're chatting with in this chat box is a computer or a, another human, then it's said to have passed the Turing test. The thing is, um, humans have a lot of like weird um, baggage that comes along with them <laughs> in their brains, and so. When a human is, is, like, making a judgment like this, they, they think of a lot of things, like, um, that don't really relate to what's being said on the screen. So one of the most convincing examples of, of a computer that passed the Turing test is one that pretended to be, like, a six-year-old child.
1: Mm, yeah. Oh. It pretended to
2: be a six-year-old child, and so any mistakes it made, or spelling mistakes, or, like, logical leaps that didn't quite make sense, the human on the other side chalked it up to being like, well, this is a six-year-old. Like, they're not going to understand mortgages or whatever, you know like they might That's not be able to do basic math so the computer basically
1: this... just was able to go like i don't know and <laughs> exactly. it was like oh <laughs> you don't know you're you
2: baby. little tyke <laughs> and so it, it, it passed the turing test but like it wasn't intelligent it was just like acting you know if that makes yeah. sense
0: yeah yeah well it, the the human imposed rules on it that didn't actually exist and they decided exactly. that because of that
2: so like there are ways to cheat the turing test To make it to pass it and we've discovered a bunch of those but we haven't actually like been able to like well very rarely are we able to like actually pass the turing test in like a real way
0: there is like a competition where humans compete and and machines compete to be the most human human uh (laughs) with the turing turing test and it's like some humans get designated as machines during this (laughs) Turing test and they're like i am so offended. <laughs> Which, oh, you know, I thought they sense. would have been like, "I've done it." Like, <laughs> they're aiming to be the most human human. So.
2: Oh, I see. So it's like a it's like a bracket system of like competitive yes. Turing testing. Yes, <laughs> yes,
0: and I just thought that was the funniest thing. Like, wow, you've your humanship has been revoked by failing this <laughs>
1: Turing test. I feel like okay, so now I'm kind of like, how would you do it? Because for yeah, me, I'd I mean, be like, oh, prove that you're human. I'd be like. I don't care, and I just like <laughs> refuse to like partake yeah, in it. I would, would
0: not be, play like, that game. Yeah, honestly. I have a
2: lot of uh, pop culture opinions. I I would generate them. I doesn't even. I don't even have to believe them.
0: <laughs> I I was gonna say I just read I read this book last year that's called uh, Space Opera, and basically the way that they decide um, it's basically about aliens how aliens decide if your society is worth preserving or are you designated as like cattle. And so all your stuff is theirs, basically. And the way that they decide is they have this Eurovision-esque universal song contest where you have to uh, make a song and then perform it in front of everybody. And they get to decide whether or not you're sentient based on your song.
2: So it's like that Rick and Morty episode. I was going to
0: say, there's an episode of Rick and Morty that's exactly... <laughs> the- oh, really? Yeah. This is- Show me what you've got! <laughs> this is... It's so funny. It's so funny. And um, basically, it's very much like Eurovision. Like, everyone's being catty to them and like, oh, you're just... You're singing, are you? I do, you know, this and this on several different dimensions while I sing and all sorts of stuff like that but yeah that's one way a universal song contest um (laughs) yeah 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 so let's go on to um all of the places that ai affects us already like where where in our lives ai and i want to start with smart houses this concept of smart houses where everything is it like regulates the temperature by you know timing or whatever your preference the lights the oven, whatever refrigerator, everything is on like a an AI system. Y'all never saw
1: that movie called Smart House? It was like a Disney original, and, and it's like basically the house thinks it's like your mom now. And I'm like, mm. and I think yeah. because of that, like I do not. Yeah.
2: It's a mean sentient AI. It's like the trope. It's like the it's like the go to. It's like the oh no, this the AI got evil. <laughs> I was
0: gonna say I read this book that was basically like this billionaire built himself an AI house and the AI house decided that the world would be better without the billionaire. And so... (laughs) they <laughs> were just like, we're gonna decrease the oxygen a little bit. It release some pathogens. It's gonna be great.
2: I love that. That's like an interesting take on it, where it's like, like it could be better for all the rest of humanity if you didn't exist. If you didn't right. exist,
1: just gonna just turn the knob down on that oxygen. Because because <laughs> I think for me that's the like thing where it's like, oh, like we want it, we want it to help us, like right, like the idea of the smart house, the idea of like our cell phones and Alexa and like all of the um, like security networks now right where it's like turn it on and off from your phone it's all Wi-Fi which is hackable uh, yeah. <laughs> you know so it's like we're, we're already seeing these things play out where it's like no, it's not that the security system itself is, like, you know, super complex. It's the fact that we're, we're taking things, like, to the next step where it's like, well, everything can be connected. Like, we're going to put everything on the same circuit, and then we're going to make it so that it can, like, be controlled by, like, your phone. And it's, to me, that's where the flaw is because it's like, well, these things are, like really helpful until they're not helpful. Like until they, until something like one piece of it fails that could possibly compromise the rest of it or you lose your fucking phone and you can't, you know do what you're supposed to do anymore so, I don't know I feel like we're taking things it's it's going to be fucking Wally up in here where it's like <laughs> I don't want to do anything for myself and then the robots because we've programmed them to be helpful they're going to be like yeah you really shouldn't let me just do th-. and like I feel like it's not going to be <laughs> hostile it's going to be this slow kind of apathetic on the humans part you know it's just going to be yeah. like yeah sure let Siri do it whatever I can't be bothered <laughs> and, then, and then we're going to so be like- blobs and hover chairs
2: <laughs> P.S., that's already happening, (laughs) which (laughs) is FYI. Yes! AI has already taken over a huge portion of your life, and you don't know it because it comes in the form of a little uh, glass square that you hold in your pocket. Um, I'm not saying, like, social media networks are bad and cell phones are bad, but, like, a lot of the world as we understand it today is curated through that small device, through services that we use, which are in turn curated by algorithms that we don't really understand, and even the people who built them don't really understand and so
1: and we don't notice them until they go like so wrong where it's just like whoa algorithm right but except for those like one or two instances where they like kind of like tweak out a little (laughs) bit we just let it do its thing
2: so like one of my favorite uh concepts from the last you know five years is that like the the robot revolution happened and we lost we just didn't notice and like that's exactly what the case is like yes
0: yeah
2: we lost the robot revolution the ai revolution they took over and we we we're living in their world that they created and we didn't even notice because they were very good at it i'm okay with it (laughs) which is like fine that's how we live now it's not like a bad thing it's just something we should be aware of again
1: yes i come back to the like okay sure well it's also (laughs) like
0: i i do this maybe this is a bad thing but like i have stopped looking at news mostly but I do go on to Twitter and look at the trending topics like at least once a day. And I'm thinking like these aren't like topics that are trending universally. Like these are things that are curated for me in my location based on my past, you know, activity. It's it's like they're telling me what I want to hear or yeah. what I'm looking for. And that's an interesting thought because that's like basically my only news at this point. And so I'm only learning what exactly Twitter wants me to learn. So,
2: yeah. I don't know. I mean, you can mitigate that by um, going Actually on multiple news. places or, yeah, yeah, going on actual, actual news. The, the thing is, though, like, it's the same with news, though. If you just read one news source, if you just read Fox News or if you just read uh, CNN, you're going to get a similar but much slower uh, effect of, like, bubbleizing yourself, yeah. you know? The, the trick is you have to read lots of different sources and lots of different news
0: i used to be such a news junkie i had four or five news uh things tabbed on my uh computer at all times and i just go through them and refresh that has stopped (laughs) for obvious reasons news what that's
2: it said i read video game news and that's it
0: (laughs) um ethan your house is basically a starter smart house how is it going over there
3: Well, uh, there was a time when it was really convenient, but it's all sort of broken down with time. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, It's become harder to maintain, mainly because there's so many different competing smart house systems. They all have different central hubs, and there's some that can connect to everything, but most of them are kind of their own little bubble of technology. So, you know, like our, our lock and our, you know, all of our locks are connected, right? And so you can open them with your phone. Or you can just do them manually but then that's separate from like our thermostat system and then our light system is also separate so you end up having to have like it's supposed to be this one central convenient control everything with your phone and while you can there's actually like five different commands and six different apps for everything in the house
1: okay it's
3: it's it's more convenient but it's not what it was you know what what it was promised to be i
1: feel like the precursor to what you're just saying ethan is the like five remotes situation where it's like well this one's for the tv itself and then this one's for the blu-ray player but if you want the regular dvd player this is it over there but then you have the game system which you can also use to watch blu-rays on and you have to learn how to use the controller you know so it's like that but like you said it's still like you have to open like 10 apps so it's like slightly more convenient but it's still the same idea
0: i'm very interested in these like transitional technologies because i think that's what's happening here is that it's Their technologies do exist to create cohesive systems, but right now it's, it's such that people have been building them piecemeal, like, like Mm -hmm. your dad did. And so they're not necessarily like, they're not talking to each other. There's no universal system for all of these things to click into each other. And that's like when we, I don't know if you guys remember two ways. I never had a two way, but a two way is a machine that just texts. It doesn't call anybody. It doesn't go on the internet, it just texts people. <laughs> and that was before phones. Uh, I mean, I don't understand why we had these things, because... Phones, they
2: sound great, frankly. Phones could text,
0: <laughs> but they had the buttons. Uh, yeah, it, they didn't have full keyboards. That's why. So it was easier to have a two-way to just, like, full keyboard it. I don't know. I never had one because we weren't like that, I guess. We had our Nokia phones, and that was it. But, um... Yeah, it's like such a transitional technology. Like, nobody would even remember that existed. Like, Laserdiscs. Do you remember Laserdiscs? <laughs> wait, wait, wait.
2: Can we can we ask Ethan what a Laserdisc is?
0: Oh, yeah, what's a Laserdisc? Ethan disc? is much
2: younger than the rest of us, so I'm curious yeah. what. Yeah, you're what, 17? Uh, I... What do you even 17. think it is?
0: 17.
3: I mean, I'm g- I know that CDs have something to do with lasers, so I'm gonna guess just like an, a precursor to CDs. I mean, yeah,
0: okay. it's a, it's a precursor to DVDs and they were very large, larger than records.
2: Yeah, consider think of like a record but it looks like a CD. Yeah, but so larger. It's like um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's like larger than a record like a, a vinyl so just record like
3: a giant mirror, like it's kind yeah. of like
2: a giant mirror and oh, they weird. and they had giant players that you would yeah. take these things and put them in just like a a CD. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like overhead projectors. Like for most of my schooling we had overhead projectors which are such a weird, like between computers that are able to project and like chalkboards. So have you, did you ever use an overhead projector, Ethan? It's like basically a light source and they put a clear uh, sheet on it and they write on it and I it projects on yeah. the wall.
3: No, I mean, it's like it's yeah. document scanners uh, and ooh. stuff at this point. Oh, Precursor like, to like the cameras or mm. an actual projector.
2: Yeah, right. yeah.
1: But that overhead, so, when you had to do a class project and oh, you, were, so you were in charge. Of the like, (laughs) they called them transparencies. They were like the like pieces of plastic, plastic sheets, and you use like dry erase markers on it. Uh,
2: You guys are making me feel old. uh, I never thought this was the thing that was going to do it, but like, cool, cool thanks. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, so it's such a it's a transitional technology. Like initially, you have chalkboards, and then. Now you have computers that can easily project. But before we had an easily project option for computers, there was the transparency. And
1: you know what? I bet there's still plenty of places that use them because of the discrepancies in like in technology and technology and funding for schools.
2: Um, I want to take a few steps back and consider the idea that um, a a suburban family home could be slowly colonized by um, smart house devices that are owned by companies. And then I want to further move that idea into competing companies trying to colonize the same home, and then further move that idea into a short story that is free for our users to write. I think that would be dope. We will. It would
0: be like a. We will freely give you that
2: idea. It it could be written as like a war journal about between these two companies, or like maybe three or four, (laughs) and and they and the crushing each other in in different fronts of the house. Like we've taken over the living room. (laughs) Our electric lights are blah blah blah, and then like ah. Our, our smart speaker heard them say something about refrigerators, so we've sent them ads and blah blah blah. And now we we've got a foothold in the kitchen and blah blah blah. And then like, you we we hear from the other enemy commander quote unquote, and they're like ah oh, well they've taken over the kitchen, but now we've got the bedroom because of that, with our uh, connected vibe devices and <laughs> blah blah, they're never gonna change in there, you know like that's our stronghold forever. And then it can be very dramatic and stuff. And, but and it's then just they like,
0: have blackmail material on you, and mm-hmm.
2: then absolutely. And, like, it's just, like, all the weird techniques that they would use to both market to the the homeowners, but also, like, to behind-the-scenes break the other devices. It could be a very interesting (laughs) uh, short story, I think. Uh, And that's free for you, (laughs) listeners. I I love that. Please write it.
1: And it also inspired (laughs) me to think of, like, so what is something, like, what is a thing that I'm never going to actually get the quote unquote smart version of.
0: When smartphones came out, I was very resistant because I foresaw this future where companies get all of your information and use it to like, uh, advertise to you and use this stuff. And I, for the longest time, refused to get a smartphone until it was just incredibly impractical to live my life without a smartphone. And to this day, I have disabled all of my assistants and, but I'm sure it still listens to me. But um, to answer your question, what would be the worst thing to have a smart version of? I don't know. A vibrator. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something we can discuss right now. It's <laughs> a
2: little bit personal, I think. I wouldn't want something yeah. to rub up against me that like could be like, no, I know how you <laughs> like it. <laughs> No, you're doing it wrong. Let me help you. Oh, Ethan, (laughs)
1: also your dad can't listen to this episode. I was just saying, guys, (laughs) let's steer away from this.
2: Um, Oh, yeah, I went right into it. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I saw it so and I was like, let's go. I
0: saw you go for it, and I couldn't stop you. Um, (laughs) But I, so my nightmare um, smart device has come out recently, uh, and it is literally detailed in the book 1984, and that is a mirror on the wall that tracks you and makes you exercise. Yeah!
1: Um, How nobody saw... Oh my god. I get, like, ads for that all the time and I'm like, okay, first of all... Have you read 1984? (laughs) Well, right. Have you read 1984? Also, do you even know me talking about the algorithm thing where it's like, I constantly get ads and shit for the thing that you're talking about, Emily, the creepy yeah. mirror exercise machine, and also, like, dog medication, in addition <laughs> to human medication. But, like, I also got one for, like, talk to your vet about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, fuck you. There's a line to be drawn. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's literally this black mirror thing, and it adds digital weight. Ugh. Ugh. And you get
0: to... You get to visualize yourself while you're exercising, which I feel like nobody wants. Like, who wants
1: that? <laughs> I don't know mirrors and gyms. If you're been already there forever. attractive,
2: like, listen, it, you're it, done. It caters to a very specific clientele, and that's people who exercise already.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: that's true. <laughs> who are who
2: already are like attractive,
0: exercise and like, addicts? I would
2: love to just look at myself while I exercise. I wish I could just have a studio with mirrors on every side. And, like, those are the people who want those things. Although, I will say, we missed the boat on avoiding those things because, like, again, they're tiny and in our pockets. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're not, like, you're not hiding from the, the 1984 device that, like, sits in every room of your house and monitors what you do and reports you to the thought police. Like, hey, dog, it's in your pocket. <laughs> and, like, it's not even a bad thing. Just get used to that idea and, like, learn how to live your life from here on out, you know?
0: Yeah, and I, uh, even though, like I said, I've disabled the the listening part of it, that doesn't mean um, that it's not listening, and it super is. And like, even as a marketing professional, I take advantage of this because you can market to people, like if they visit a website, they get, you know, cookies in their their phone, and you can activate those cookies in people's phones to advertise to them. So if they've been to this website, it's called not geotargeting, geofencing, it's called remarketing remarketing is when you target like they go to the comic-con website i've specifically done this they get a cookie and then you can pay comic-con and say two thousand people who have this cookie on their phone i want them to see this ad and that's you know remarketing and then there's also geo geo um targeting which is like if i want to pay someone i can fence in the area of javits center on the day of comic-con all of the people who enter this area I want to market to. So I used to think that I was safe because I had turned it off and because it's not... I don't have Alexa, which I think is very invasive. But also, I carry this everywhere. So if you want to, like, geotarget me, like, it will be with me. Even around yeah. my house. Like even Honestly, like,
2: it's... I think people are still stuck on this idea that, like, what if it happens? What if we're always tracked? And, like, oh, no, like... That's not the question. The question is, like, we are now always tracked. They have all your information. Don't pretend like you can avoid it. How do you operate in a world that is this way? And, like, uh, it's a very uh, early 2000s idea that, like, oh, we can avoid, like, these evasive nonsense. Like, you can't. Hey, welcome to 2020. You can't avoid evasive (laughs) nonsense anymore. You have to learn to live with it. And if it really, really bothers you, you can turn some of it off or avoid some of it. Or you can pay you to, have to have more
1: protection, basically, right? So it's like you can you can pay to have like your passwords, you know, encrypted or more so or whatever. Like there, there's like you can't. I I think you're right, Matt. Like I don't think it's a matter of like going backwards. It, you you would have to escalate it, you know. So it's like <laughs> you have to buy into it and be like, okay, well, because I know that I'm gonna go the extra mile to protect this information versus trying to remove that information.
2: Well, even going that extra mile at this point is like, um, it's like you, you need a, a PhD and you need a lot of free time to like really like avoid <laughs> like leaving a fingerprint on the internet. Yeah. And or like,
0: get on TikTok and they have a lot of advice for you <laughs> on how to do this.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing though. Is like, it takes forever. Like there's some podcasts I listen to, um, one called Reply All and they had an episode about this. Um, and oh, yeah. They, it was really great. Um, I can't remember what it was uh, called so, or the number of the episode, but basically someone had stolen someone, like a hacker had stolen someone's um, Snapchat account because it was like what they call an OG account, which means that it was like a, a word that is recognizable in English. It was lizard. Hmm. And so those accounts go for a lot of money if you can sell them to people. Right, because, like, yes.
0: I saw that one.
2: All right, right. Yeah. That was a cool one. And so this this guy on the podcast tracks down the, the hacker who stole the account but in the so doing, he talks to um, security experts about how it could have happened, and and they're like they go through all the things you would have to do to protect yourself, and it's like just like this enormous list of like it would take months to implement any particular plan. It would be literally like the equivalent of like building a like a, a six foot fence around your house yeah. with like barbed wire at the top. Like that would be the amount of work it would take for any particular person to protect themselves digitally these days. So it's possible. But it's also impractical and so the question is again like not how do you protect yourself or if you can protect yourself it's like what level are you comfortable with and how do you live your life despite being known to i'll tell you what i do
1: i just stay broke all the time because then the people (laughs) that are perusing yeah the, the people perusing my information are like well, she never has more than, like, $30 at any given time, so we're just not going to bother with her.
0: <laughs> I think also it's it's a matter of, like, how you see yourself and how you see uh, extensions of yourself. So, like, if you feel like... Okay, I'll give you an example. I The iPod, when we had iPods, um, they had this thing that Apple put a a uh, album onto everyone's uh, mm. iPod. Everybody
1: got so upset.
0: Everyone got so upset and this is where anthropology can help big businesses because <laughs> the people the big business Apple understands the iPod as something that they own and that you're using. But we understand it as something that is a part of us. Like that is my personal space where my music goes. And so that it, it was an incredible violation to just go in there. Even if you're not stealing something, you're putting something in there. It <laughs> it made everyone realize that that is not my space, that that is not my private space, that someone else has access to that space. And so <clears throat> you have to reconfigure your conception of yourself to disinclude your social media, to disinclude mm-hmm. all of your online information so that you understand that it doesn't change you if someone has hacked your Instagram. Like if someone hacks your Instagram, it's not a violation. It's just like, well, shit, someone's in my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As a as a transition back to AI, but similar uh, on that, I think uh, I'd like to hear from Ethan now because your whole life has been lived online, whether you know it or not, because your dad has been posting images of you since you were a small child so Mm -hmm. like ai has a lot of access to information about you so it's possible that you think of online information about yourself differently than we do i don't know
3: well you're definitely right the other thing is that i don't really have like sensitive information in the sense that like i mean i have i I don't have a bank account with a lot of money (laughs) in it i don't have like records i don't want people to know about i mean i just like if someone steals all my passwords, I just make a new account on whatever they've stolen a password for. It doesn't really matter. Um, and the other thing is that I honestly don't mind getting targeted ads. Like, they have me very well, they have me down to a T. <laughs> they've helpful. pinpointed exactly what I want. So, yeah, it's helpful. It just shows me, like, you know, here's a product that you would like. And I'm like, yes, I would like that. Thank you, AI. Very cool.
2: <laughs> That's interesting. Your dad has a very similar uh, yeah, he does. laissez-faire attitude to toward, uh, like, the... Uh, the, the smart house, the Google <laughs> thing. And that's why the Whenever robots are to gonna, it, going to they're going to spare
1: him because they're like, you helped, Gabe yeah. <laughs> Everhart. <laughs> right?
2: The basilisk, Rocco's basilisk is going to be like, cool, Gabe, you're out. Mm-hmm. You're in. <laughs> you're
1: in. Um,
0: it's like that episode of uh, Parks and Rec where uh, what's-his-name was trying to get off the grid because he found out there was a photo of himself at a local restaurant.
2: And he was like,
0: <laughs> no, nobody can have a photo of me. And there was like one, and then he found out That there was He got a piece of um, He got a piece of mail He got a piece of junk mail So he just like Went on this journey To like remove himself And then When he was finished He had gone on this journey With two other people And those two other people Had tweeted And uh, the whole thing And like took pictures (laughs) And recorded the whole thing And he was like I'm trying to get off the grid And they were like Grid, 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 grid
1: (laughs) I love the grid
0: That's like That's Gabe He's the one who's going Grid, 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 grid
1: yeah I think it's I think that's a really great point and I'm glad that like I, I wonder if that's one of the things where like our conflict comes from the fact that like we watched you know like we, we saw these things developing you know and like we actually have like very uh, clear memories of like before cell phones before you know before even like really like laptops even you know like we we have these memories where like yeah we're we're younger kids, but we, we, we saw the progression versus people today where it's like, this is so commonplace, right? So it's almost like on a similar technology level where it's like the television where it's like my, my mom would say, she'd say this like crazy shit about how they didn't have a TV when she was a kid. And I was just like, <laughs> okay, like, I, how? So it's like, it's like a similar thing, but like Matt said, it's just like, I always call it like, oh, I'll talk to my magic rectangle about this <laughs> because that's what it is. Like, this is like straight up, like crazy magic that we have all of this stuff at our hands all the time. I think the conversation we're having is like, it's talking back to us with like the targeted ads and we're just not like paying attention to it.
2: Lauren, I would agree with you kind of a little bit, but also Gabe is older than any of us and, and like, he's... Solidly Generation it, X. He's Gen he's, X, yeah. He's all about the grid, so, like, I I'm not sure that that's the a, answer. He's
0: well, a but I mean,
1: snowflake, though. I Well, I was gonna say, I'm talking about specifically <laughs> us, because we've expressed those kind of, like, eh, ah, like, certainly not everybody, like, I mean, I, like I said, when the iPhone came out, especially going to film school, like, I know kids who are drinking that punch from day one. Like, <laughs> you know, all you know, about I, it. I think this is a little bit about, like,
0: generations like we've discussed but like I have people who I work with who are boomers who just freak out when the smallest thing happens to a, a application that they're using like word and something weird happens and they just melt down and it's like okay they can't handle it yeah they can't handle it and and there's a reason because they were at work when a time when you could lose all of your work by doing something just one little thing Mm. and they don't understand computers and so that is it's like the scariest thing when their computer starts working but to us who are digital natives we're like just like turn it off and turn it back on again like it's gonna be fine So we're not scared. (laughs) Autosave,
1: bro. Come on. Autosave.
0: But uh, yeah, we're not uh, like turned off by that because we understand how computers work. And so like, I think that we're in the generation where we know what AI is or we know what these like. um, We've seen these horror stories of people getting doxxed on the internet like we, we were in the Wild West of the internet and really bad crap happened to people. And I think that's there's so many protections in place now that that doesn't happen as often, and I think that Ethan has grown up in a world where there are security measures in place, and it's not as scary a landscape to live in. And I think that's like that's where that generational thing is happening. Um, but
2: I think about that a lot too, actually, because on the one hand, um, you're right, there are many more many more security measures in place to protect uh, people. From the Wild West of the internet, the one we grew up in. <laughs> but um, at the same time, there was nothing important on the internet in the Wild West when we grew up there. I think the there black web has always protecting. been there, though. What? what?
1: I, I think the, the dark web has always been there, so I wouldn't say that. Well, I think as long as there's been an internet, there have been people it. trying to hire contract killers on the internet. So, like, sure. there was some scary shit out there. That but there's
2: nothing, like, for instance, for the regular normal person, like, Banking. if we lost access to our account, it was, like, our... Our Neopets account, like who gives a shit? You know, like <laughs> that's okay. I, like, see was, what, I, see no I see what you're saying. There's no such thing as like yes. losing account your Microsoft account and being locked out forever and like never being able to use a Microsoft product again. My live journal yeah. like, is never gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, who yeah. That's like what Ethan was saying that like there's no nothing important enough for him could be hacked. That would be a big difference. And the same thing when we grew up on the Wild West internet we got hacked all the time. It didn't matter because yeah. like nothing acting. was important. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing important. There wasn't online banking on or whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And so
0: now <laughs> that there are important things online for us, like our bank accounts, and we yes. know how easy it is to be hacked because it's happened a bunch, but we don't take into account these new security measures and how much more sophisticated security is. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, let's move on. You, Matthew mentioned uh, AI and video games.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Um, the same way that we don't recognize that we are kind of being controlled by AI in uh, in our phones and on social media algorithms and things like that, um, a lot of times uh, people think of AI in, in video games as like what controls the, the enemy characters, so like how they run around and how they navigate towards you in a 3D space or a 2D space or whatever, like their, their progression of attacks and things like that, but what we don't think about is... Um, in multiplayer games nowadays, something that's pretty common is to make it look like you have a lot of users. Uh, companies will inject what, what are called bots into uh, online games, and these are these are AI that just are very bad at the game, but it doesn't matter because it makes it look like the game is populated with a lot of uh, human players, even though they're not human. And so, like Fortnite does this a lot. If it's a Fortnite is a hundred-person game, every match is a hundred people, and so. It's lucky that they're so popular, because often you will get 100 people at a time playing, but sometimes you won't. And so when you want to start a game, and there's not 100 people ready to go right at that moment, they'll put in, like, you know, 20 bots. And just, they'll get, those bots will get wiped out immediately because they're really bad, but it'll make it feel like the game is full of of human players. (laughs) And... A lot of games will do that. So instead uh, of changing
1: games. the amount of players required, they'll just add in the, like, AI characters to hit that number, is what you're saying? Exactly.
2: Okay. Exactly. So you have a, so you have a consistent gaming experience. You're not just, like, fighting one other dude on the other side of the map, and, like, maybe in a half an hour you'll meet. <laughs> <laughs> but you're... Um, so it's a consistent gaming experience, but it's also um, sometimes just full of bots. And, like, you can tell, if you play a lot, you can tell that they're bots, because, like, they'll stand... In the middle of the road, and shoot at you, and they won't build. Or if they build, they'll build one thing in front of them, and then stand behind it and shoot into it. You know, they're just not very clever. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> Matthew, this, can you? Oh, sorry. I was just gonna ask. Is this common knowledge? to like, is this kind of yes, like? Yes, it,
2: it is common. Okay. Knowledge. Um, uh, as to so, that,
1: Matthew, can you tell us what
0: what the young children on the internet called you? <laughs>
2: They called me they called me a bot oh, and it was mean. I'm so sorry. And it was it was a weird thing because I'm not a bot and they knew it, but they called me a bot because they thought I was not doing good. So
1: bad at it. Oh, so it was like a no, bullying so thing where it, it was like, Oh, you're so, yeah. so bad at this, you must be a
2: bot. Exactly, exactly. Oh,
1: that is That's so a really mean. harsh
0: bird.
2: So it's not a uh, it's not even like a, a technical definition anymore. It's become an insult based on your skill. It's like you're as bad as a bot. And like <laughs> Even if you're doing things that are like perfectly human and like they're if they ask you questions and like you answer them, they are still like, Man, you a bot. <laughs> it's like What what does that even mean?
1: It's so disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. Trying to bring shame onto your house, Matt. It's, it's the thing is, I wanna point out that like shameful.
2: It doesn't happen to me because I'm bad. It happens to me because I don't I sometimes they're bad and I won't save them because well, they're bad. He,
0: yeah, so yes Matthew, no one is it. implying that you are bad at video games i think probably no i'm not that's the point <laughs> yeah i know i know i know but they but it's used as like an insult when people are mad at you
2: yes yeah yeah, yeah. that's funny yeah it's not even about being bad is the thing it's like yeah. it's about being angry at somebody mm. yes.
0: yes um <laughs> they're questioning <laughs> listen, it's like i know it sounds like i'm trying to defend <laughs> my skill
2: in Fortnite. I'm, I'm trying to make the point that like The, the insult bot is not about, it's, it's progressed beyond being bad to just being a general insult. Yeah.
1: But it also, (laughs) right, like, if you want to, like, break it down, they're questioning, they're like, well, if you, if you were a person, you wouldn't have, you would have saved your teammate. So the fact that you didn't save me must mean you're a robot. (laughs) So they're, like, questioning your very humanity and, like.
2: It's a it's a Turing test. It really yeah. is. Yeah. It's, it's such because
0: a that's why it's such a devastating burn because they're literally saying you're not human. Like it's like <laughs> it's such a deep burn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, which you know, you could just throw it right back at them and just be like, "I'm the most human because I saw that you were gonna die and I saved myself." <laughs> like <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's exactly what happens. These kids, listen, it's four person teams. Three people will go to one location. One person goes fucks off across the other side of the map. And does his own thing. And then that guy dies and he yells at you over Mike and goes, you're a bot! Oh my god, what bots? You're all bots. And it's like, <laughs> bro, you're on the other side of the map. What do you want me to do about it? I don't have an orbital cannon. I can't save you. <laughs>
1: you need crazy. to stay with the group, man.
0: That's exactly haunted house rule number game. one. Play as a team. I This this reminds me of when I was, uh, we were playing Tribes, which was is an old game that me and Matthew used oh, to memories. dominate. Um, and... <laughs> I like I played it a lot, and then I stopped playing it because my because uh, I got hyper focused on it and my grades were slipping, and as a tenth grader, I was like, I need to stop. Um, but I got back on it after a while, and I was like still same level of skill, but there was a bunch of idiots on it at that point. and so I would they would spawn and I'd like watch them for like five minutes and then I'd shoot them, and then they'd, they'd get mad at me for spawn killing, and I'm like, okay, but like you gotta move. like you can't just sit there in front of the base. Like if you want to if you want to do AFK or something, you got to go inside, you got to get some protection. Like why are you in this game? So yeah.
1: I love this I love how, how you guys have this like No, no, this is a teaching moment.
0: This is a teaching moment. Don't just sit in the spawn point. Right.
1: Like, if you're going to come and play this game, I'm going to teach you how to be good at playing the game.
0: Yeah. (laughs) People would also do it several times where I'd kill them and they'd be like, don't spawn kill. I'd be like, then move. And then they'd do it again and they'd stand there and I'd be like, number two, lesson number two. (laughs) Like, I don't. Anyway, we are off topic. But um, I know you're
1: gonna have to do so much editing, and that's that's fine.
0: I mean, when do I ever edit I, our off-topic <laughs> moments? Need um, to, we to get you ruthless. I want to really quickly touch on ethical implications because um, there. I mean, there's the standard eth- ethical implications of whether you know AI is sentient and what will happen when it becomes sentient. But I think other things that we haven't thought of is one that AI uses like the um the standard to make assumptions about people. And so increased use of AI can be increased uh, marginalization for people who don't fit that standard. Absolutely. And so that is that's uh actually the UN has this uh treaty treat not a treaty treat treatise. Treatise. Out that specifically calls out that um issue and that um the lack of inclusion of culture in national AI strategies uh, could mean that countries no longer have any cultural expression of their own, which would end up d- damaging the social fabric. So basically saying that everyone using AI would um, become more hegemon- uh, yeah, hegemonic, like the hegemonic culture, for instance, the United States, who may create the AI will become standard over other people. So that's mm. that's an interesting thought.
2: Well, it goes further than that um, because the thing is, like, AI is only as. Like, someone has to create it. And, like, the way that we create AI is by um, giving it lots of examples to look at and then telling it what those examples mean. Yeah. And when we give AI examples that we think are benign, it can come to some very incorrect conclusions. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. It's like a toddler. Like, there's. It's what?
1: Oh, I was just saying, like, I see a lot of this in, like, early child development, like, having a two-year-old where it's, like, you know, that that idea, it's like, oh, do you see that thing with the black and white spots? And they're like, yeah, it's a cow. And you're like, no, it's a dog. But it has black <laughs> and white spots. And so they're just like,
2: yeah. whatever
1: you say. But that's because, like, the one cow they were shown over and over again was, like, a black and white cow. So now that's
2: that's a cow. Right. That's a good example, yeah. Like, uh, an <clears throat> example is, like, there was a, uh, I forget what company had this, but it was like a uh, uh, an algorithm that would examine street view maps to, to kind of figure out like the median values of the homes there and um, it would um, it was looking at the homes, it was supposed to be looking at like how nice they looked, like how many, how big the homes were, things like that but it would just look for the color of the skin of the people on in on the sidewalks and it would change their that, change its valuation in the neighborhood based on that.
0: That see, it's and a it, scathing indictment of like whoever taught it, basically. Right,
2: like. exactly. And like, the thing is, these things like these these algorithms oftentimes teach themselves, and then we compare against like um, a metric that is that we decide is correct. So like, it was getting the right answers, but it was getting them in the wrong ways.
0: Well, I think also it's learning things we're not trying to teach it. Like, exactly. it's it's not incorrect to make that assumption because of the way that our country is set up. So it's exactly. like, it, it is revealing stuff about ourselves that we would prefer not to know.
2: Well, and the thing is, it is perpetuating. The more important thing is that it perpetuates those things about ourselves that we don't want exactly. to be true. And so we have to be very, very, very careful when we create these AIs that we are telling it, or that we're absolutely certain that it's using the right metrics to make decisions as opposed to uh, other metrics that get the right decisions, but are uh, not the way we want it to get to them. Like we, we needed the AIs to show their work is essentially right. what I'm saying.
1: Or, or like, yes, that very much. And then also it's like, and then the people who are working on this need to be more diverse so that when that happens, we can like say like, we can accept the fact that it's like, ah, okay. So we're, unintentionally building these biases into these things mm-hmm. and it like acknowledge that so that, <clears throat> which is weird, right? Because then are we helping, um, the AI become more human by like, okay, um, you know, whatever its name is. So now we have to explain racism to you because we unintentionally <laughs> taught you to be racist, but kind of intentionally because we're all racist. Well, so, you know, um, the,
0: the end of the abstract on the UN, uh, committee thing it says it will be essential to develop strategies that go beyond a merely abstract code of ethics and design public policies to ensure that ai systems and the actors that exploit them are auditable and accountable Mm -hmm. so i think that's exactly what you were saying um and this specifically focuses on the creative sector Far from settling for a marginal role in the discussion of AI, the creative sector must claim its place as the with greater vigor. Basically, saying that in order to be creative, we have to know how these um, algorithms are, what these algorithms are bringing to us, and what it's exposing to us, and go outside of that to be creative. Basically,
2: I would be interested in hearing more about that from a primary source because. I'm not sure what that, that's what that means. Like they said the creative sector has to claim its place in the creation of these algorithms and these tools.
0: Let me read the so this is from the UN UNESCO yeah. website, but let me read the first part of it. Um, Artificial intelligence can help to empower numerous creators, make the cultural industries more efficient, and increase the numbers of artworks, which is in, which is in the interest of the public. However, There are still very few artists and entrepreneurs that know how to use tools such as machine learning. In addition, the commercial logic of the large platforms may lead to increased concentration of supply, data and income, and to the impoverishment of cultural expressions in the long term. So I think that what they're saying is there will be a dominant cultural expression that is perpetuated by AI and that this dominant you have to be able to look beyond this dominant e- cultural expression, as well as audit it and understand why it's there, in order to uh, be more creative and not squash marginalized creativity. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It, it's Cause there's not a whole lot. I'm just trying to think of like the tools that creatives use. Because it also it sounds to, a little
1: bit like access, right? So it's like the people who have access to it are going to be the ones that will benefit the most because, basically, they got their foot in the door first.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, um, like, what is the it here?
0: AI. Like,
2: okay, but, like, name for me something that that creatives, like a painter or a uh, a musician, will use that uses AI to help them create artworks. Well, Photoshop... That's where I'm getting confused. Photoshop... But Photoshop doesn't really have...
0: Well, so here's an example that is tangentially related. We have a lot of issues with finding stock photography with black people in, a, in them. Mm, okay. And it's because stock photographers don't take pictures of black people. And hmm. a, 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 there's an affluent situation. It's tied in with racism. But specifically for my company, people of, uh, who, of uh, pictures of people outdoors, black people outdoors who are enjoying themselves. Is very difficult to come by. Interesting. Uh, Because it it is, I mean, for uh, cultural racist reasons, a lot of black people don't hike because it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those things. Like, if you're looking in uh, a stock photo album for people who hike and it's all white people, like wall to wall white people, we've had to contract specific people to take pictures. Of black people walking in a forest, like it's <laughs> so. If you're a stock photographer out there, get on it and put it, because that's so, needed.
2: I definitely agree that like those kinds of things exist. What I'm saying is that like I'm not sure how AI fits into that problem to make it worse.
1: Well, well I think it's 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 getting ahead of it, right? So it's saying right. like it's not it's not necessarily saying like this is a problem right now. It's like hey, we need to be thinking about this. They're foreseeing. Ne- yeah, we need to think about this now, so that down the road, when are right like when robots are
2: taking pictures people people want like i don't really when
1: when it's more accessible maybe yeah
2: maybe i guess i don't know
1: i don't know i i i say what you're saying but i also think it's important for us to be thinking about these things now because we're constantly doing things on the back end when it comes you know what i mean so it's just like oh shit there's like this thing is going on in the internet and these people are getting like hurt and so now we need to figure out the laws for that as opposed to like being proactive
2: i guess like i see it as like a problem now with like social media and like um and like not non-creative industries like uh programming and things like that where like these ai-assisted things are having are having an undue impact on how we we live our lives and like for the un to be like Hey, also painters. If ever AI comes into the problem, to the the thing for you, make sure it's.
0: I think it's not racist. <laughs> I think you're having a limited uh, idea of what creatives mean. <laughs> like, it's not like painters. We're like movie people who make movies, people who make podcasts, people who make you know all sorts of things.
2: And so I keep thinking, like I'm hard. I'm having writers. a hard time imagining so AI. Like, do writers use AI?
0: Here, yes, because we use spell check, and in fact. Spell check Mm. has gotten very sophisticated to Mm. the point where it's it's calling things out in my writing that isn't incorrect. Well, so for instance, Google Google Sheet Google Google Docs has just launched a um, very sophisticated um, spell check, and it's not just spelling. It's like word usage, and it's more. It's kind of like a touch of grammarly in there. Yeah, and it's often wrong. And in fact, it. It's using a set of standard English that uh, not everybody uses. So yeah. that's that's something to think about, like a creative who's writing, and they're writing in their own dialect, but then Google keeps on telling them that they're wrong. And so their creative expression is being changed because Google is like telling them okay. that they're wrong. all right. I'll so give you that one. Yeah, I think you're just <laughs> like... Thinking of, like, a painter in a paint shop with, like, overalls on, and then an AI tells them that their painting is crap. Yeah, (laughs) like, that doesn't seem right. That's not what we're talking about.
2: Honestly, when you describe this thing, like, I can see it happening, but also, if you're being a writer, like, if that's your thing, I don't think someone's going to be like, I am the creative mastermind behind this piece but let me listen to Google when it tells me I've done the, the dialogue wrong. Well, you know, like, a lot I of just...
0: creators have imposter syndrome. Like they're like, I'm sure, doing, sure. I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm just writing and doing my thing. And if somebody, like especially young writers, if someone, especially a computer who's an authority, tells them that they're doing something wrong, they're like, oh crap, I have to change everything that I'm doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I can see it. you be your this being correct. I just, um, it's not as easy for me, I guess. Anyways, I've okay. Co-
0: uh, we're gonna move on to to movies or to media and tropes, um, and I wanted to start with 2001 Space Odyssey, which I feel like is the basis of American thought on AI, which is where the AI murders everybody, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and takes over because they think that they know better. And uh, I'm sorry, I can't do that, Dave. You know that kind of thing. So. But then there's the anti-2001 Space Odyssey, which is WALL-E. Which is like, he just wants to help people. And he's, you know, he wants to do his job, which is trash compacting. <laughs> and then he, well, yeah, he saves everybody.
2: I think um, another example of that is uh, the Sam Rockwell movie, Moon. Which, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's very similar to 2001 a Space Odyssey. It's like one guy trapped in a space station with an uh, AI robot friend. Who doesn't want to do what the human wants it to do, but for like very important reasons? It's not just like the AI being a dick. It's like I don't want to do this, but also it's it's compliant. It does do exactly what it's set, what the human says. Unlike HAL from the from the 2001 Space Odyssey, who actually outright denies commands from. Uh,
0: so I'm I'm confused. It it does do the things that the human wants it to do, but it complains about it. Is that?
2: Yeah, basically, it says like uh, I don't really want to do that. I don't think it's a good idea that you do, but we go into this room and like, it's very dangerous for humans in that room. Please don't go into that room. And then when when the guy says, I'm going into the room, open the door. He's like, okay.
0: That reminds me of um, Chappie. Which is a more recent movie? Ethan, have you seen that one?
2: I've not seen it now.
0: Um, it's Matthew. Who, who's the director of that movie? You really like that director?
2: Kinda, yeah. Neil Blomkamp. Blomkamp. He's, he's South African. South African. Yeah. And
0: basically, the story is that they've created uh, this baby AI in a in a police bot uniform. So that's kind of important because he looks like a police bot, but he's like a baby, and so he someone tries to steal him. I can't remember exactly what happens, but he ends up in the hands of these gangsters and the gangsters are like teaching him how to do crime, but he's a baby. So he doesn't understand a lot of the, th- he doesn't understand what he's doing is wrong. Um, he, Cause they've taught him like, okay, they call him Chappie. Chappie, we're gonna go over here and this guy, he's taken my car. So we're gonna get my car back. And he's like, great, we're going to get daddy's car back. And so they go to the thing and he's like, why have you taken daddy's car? Why have you? And he's like yelling at him. And he's like, he's basically robbing this guy of his car. But he thinks he's just like mad because it's his dad. They've taken his car. And he does it several times, like several times. He's like, this guy has taken daddy's car. We have to get it from him. And so they teach him like all of these bad habits and like it's really brutal at some point they get let him get beat up because he's done something wrong or they want him to learn a lesson or something. It's really awful. But yeah, I think that's an interesting thought of like how we treat AI, um, how we would treat AI if that were the case, you know?
1: And then you have things like, uh, Blade Runner, which is like a classic, I know we've talked about, I'm pretty sure we've talked about Blade Runner a couple of times, but, like, the idea of... We had a whole episode. (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah, like, but Blade, the reason that Blade Runner is really great is because it it confronts us with the fact that it's, like, you know, these machines were made to have a finite life cycle, so they only live for a certain amount of time, and once they, and, and once they figured that out, they are like pissed about it and they're like, I'm, I am alive. I, I have experiences and I've seen things and I, and, um, and the idea of wanting to con- not, not just continue their life, but also to like procreate. Right. And like make a, make copies of themselves, like, you know, have, have, uh, children and stuff. And the fact that they want the sheer, the sheer, I want to live as being a huge part of that question of sentience and like what it means to be human. So like the desire to exist, um, and how that makes somebody or something human and then not being able to tell. Right. So that's the other thing about Blade Runner is opening that question is like, is Harrison Ford's character, is he himself human or not? Spoiler
2: alert. (laughs) The movie's very old. <laughs> um,
0: that movie is but very old. as you recall, last time we brought this up on the podcast, I had not seen it. Uh, and oh. you all forced me to see it. Uh, well, that's your problem.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's actually embarrassing that it's taken me this long to like get to this point and to understand this, but I feel like a lot of AI narratives are discrimination narratives yeah. about like how humans treat, humans, quote-unquote, treat what they perceive as non-humans and how that's uh, an ultimate act of hubris, and how that will come back and bite us in the end. Um, and like, if you just replace, like, you, it's it's like a slavery narrative, but you replace black people with like machines, and suddenly it's sci-fi. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I, I, it's embarrassing that it took me this long to get there. I think
0: <laughs> I think that's true, and I think there are a couple things like that. So we have the the how people are capable of treating other people narrative. Mm. But we also have like the monstrous birth narrative like with Frankenstein. Like the what have I done? Yeah. What have I created? And how That's do true. I move forward from here? I think... That's a good point. Those AI are, is a good
2: vessel for both of those.
0: Both of them, yeah. And together or separately, they they work. They're, I mean, this goes along with your theme. It's like how do you treat something that isn't human but deserves respect Mm -hmm. and like you can't just treat it like uh, an animal or a service uh, a slave like how does a good person interact with an AI like that's a question Mm -hmm. that I think it brings up
2: I'll tell you I'll tell you how you do everything you can to make sure it comes to fruition so that the basilisk (laughs) doesn't (laughs) get you all
0: right that's what I'm saying thanks for sucking up uh, (laughs) right there
2: future Uh, basilisk I'm on your side (laughs)
0: Um, Ethan, do you have any um, media that you particularly like in this genre? Yeah. Uh,
3: well, I mean, the, you've mentioned this already, but the Terminator series is great. I mean, well, the first part of the Terminator. Series. <laughs> I've, I've um,
0: actually never seen the Termina- Any of the Terminator movies, uh, Emily. I'm. What is it?
1: I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I. Just, okay. You say
0: I, these listen, things. You have and a it,
2: podcast. It yeah. <laughs>
1: It hurts a lot sometimes. You guys I'm have not made me like, watch a
0: lot of stuff and a lot of stuff involving robots and because um, you made me watch, what is it, Ghost in the Machine and all Ghost- of that. Jesus Christ,
2: Emily. <laughs> Ghost in the Shell.
0: Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell. Uh, what was the other one that you made me watch? Um, what was it Did called? we make you watch Akira? No, because okay. I refused. Um, I've also seen most of it. I've okay, just yeah. noped out on several sections of it.
1: Um, yeah, that is very. <laughs> oh, that's where we're talking about Blade Runner. Yeah,
0: right. Yes, you made me talk about. You made me watch Blade Runner. You've made me watch also um, a bunch of robot shit, and I don't like it. <laughs> it's so here's really- the thing: I'm
2: like you. You have a podcast about narratives that are influential in culture. And yet, like it's shocking the things you haven't seen. I, I expect that you are much better than you are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, I have a lot of stuff to do. <laughs>
2: sure, you. Some of it should include watching cultural icons.
0: <laughs> okay, but the first. Can you explain Ethan the plot of the first Terminator movie, real quick? Spoiler alert, I, I guess. Yeah,
2: it is also
3: um, a very
1: I old movie. Yeah,
0: yeah
3: do enough. Can have... actually, I don't remember in detail. Um. It, so, the, the, the premise, as I understand it, is that in the future, the robots have taken over the world. Uh, Robot dystopia, classic, you know, okay. whatever. They, they nuked everything first. Oh, okay. Um, and there is a... The leader of the resistance um, is this uh, boy named John Connor. Um, and he is the, the only thing that can stop the robots. So, the robots have somehow secured time travel... So they go back in time in order to kill John Connor's mother, uh, Sarah Sarah Connor. Connor. Okay. Uh, And therefore stop any chance of them being destroyed by the Resistance.
2: That's very
0: wily of a computer.
2: The first movie is about the Terminator, titular Terminator, machine robot, going back in time and trying to kill Sarah Connor. And the whole movie she spends running away from it and trying to kill it, which he eventually does.
0: Okay. And
2: it is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Yes, I do remember Arnold Schwarzenegger is in that movie.
2: But the Uh, second movie... Yeah. The better one. The better one, yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Definitely the better one. Interesting. Um, Is... I want to say that the Resistance gets a hold of a Terminator, or maybe... Does does the Terminator go over to the... Whatever the case, somehow there's a Terminator on the Resistance's side. Okay. They reprogram it. Yeah. Uh, that is there to protect John Connor as a child from a new, more advanced Terminator from farther in the future that has
2: come back to kill John Connor as a child. Who is a a
0: lady, the Terminator, the new Terminator.
2: No, so this is Terminator 2. It's still the same model of Terminator from the first movie that the Resistance gets their hands on, so it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, but they reprogram it, uh, because at this point, after defeating the first Terminator in the past, Sarah Connor has had John Connor as a child, and he's now 13 or something. And the Resistance has learned that the robots are sending back a more super advanced Terminator that is liquid metal and can go f- gouge through cracks in the walls and, like, pretend to be anybody because it can change its face. Oh, dang. It's very scary. It's an
1: Alex Termi- Mack, but, like, Terminator.
2: Yes, yeah. Alex Mack, Terminator. it's Mac an Alex that is it's called T two, and uh, the Resistance knows this thing is coming back, and they know that the only thing that can fight it is other Terminators. Other
1: Terminators.
2: So they send back their own Terminator. What do you say? And so <laughs> the way this is whole is all movie
1: coming out—it's so so stupid, but it's actually really <laughs> I great. I love it. Though. It's so good, actually. It's very so the whole movie is uh, movie.
2: Arnold Schwarzenegger protecting this young uh, child from this, and they're running away from basically the whole movie. This like really scary terminator 2 guji metal thing okay that like fucking kills everything it's it's unstoppable machine
1: and it's and it's it great redefines
2: what unstoppable means it's, yeah.
1: it's great because the the uh, john as a kid you know is like okay yeah i trust i trust the terminator and the terminator's here to protect me and then his mom is like what the fuck you know like she like blips <laughs> yeah. out again until she realizes that like okay it actually doesn't have like that's any funny. other motive but to protect her son and you know um but it's like yeah I forget like she because of her experience in the first one she ends up I think in like a lot is she in jail ward. or psych ward? Yeah. yeah
0: so yeah. it sucks
1: yeah so they have to like break her out crazy right right <laughs> until the right, Terminator that robots? she was freaking out about actually breaks her out of that place <laughs> so great. so her so Sarah O'Connor's still in it and is still about us. Okay, yeah. That... One, of the,
2: one of the funniest parts about that is that um, it's the Terminator is programmed to do whatever John Connor says. And is like, a huge body count in the first movie. Uh-huh. And then in the second movie, it's kind of like more into the 90s. And so people are like, hmm, maybe all this blood and gore isn't really the best way to show things. So they have the kid, John Connor, tell the, the Terminator not to kill anybody. Uh-huh. And so in the second movie... Terminator I kills very few people. I feel like
1: I would enjoy that movie
2: better. It's like more. incidental really?
1: killing, too. So it's like, I'm going to blow what, out yeah. these tires, and the car's going to flip, and nobody survived. But I just shot out the tires, so...
2: <laughs> right. He definitely will, like, kill incidental killing. he shoots people in the kneecaps. There's <gasps> a great scene right after they have this conversation where, like, there's a bunch of SWAT guys, and he just, like, walks down the aisle and, like, takes all these bullets in the face and just shoots each one of them in the kneecap. And, like... <laughs> and then, like, the... John Connor's like, oh my god, you killed those guys! He's like, I did not kill anybody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's like that's like the Avatar situation where Avatar's like, I didn't kill anybody, but he definitely murdered a whole fleet of Fire Nation ships <laughs> at one point, And he's like squeamish about murdering one guy who's the Fire Lord, who's definitely yeah. at fault for all of this. Um, but you definitely murdered all those people in like a Titanic situation at least. Listen, a little (laughs)
2: bit of incidental killing is fine for a hero, but like you can't like straight up cold blooded murder somebody, you know? Like
0: Well I will I will watch those. That sounds good. Um (laughs) it's yeah it's
1: entertaining for sure.
0: Yeah. Um there is okay so there's a book called Uh A Long Way to Small Angry Planet and in it the it's basically a bunch of vignettes about space characters which i honestly loved but there's an ai who's very sentient and one of the characters falls in love with the ai and they're like they have a very weird relationship like he he gets up into the like the core and just like sleeps there next to her brain i guess i don't know it's real weird (laughs) but at the end she gets reset (gasps) <gasps> Sorry for the spoiler. That's a inc- genuine spoiler alert. It's incredibly <laughs> devastating because she's a very strong character. She's like a motherly character to all the other characters, except for the one person who she's definitely banging somehow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> somehow. <laughs> somehow. I don't know. But, and the guy who who's in love with her, even though she's still sentient and she's still like, she's very smart and she's, but she has to relearn all the things. He's devastated because the person that he's in love with is dead.
2: Right. It's like fifty first dates, but robots.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so well, at the end they part ways because he, the person he loved yeah. is dead, and she's a new person. And the second book is her adventure through the universe, uh, like through she she parts ways with the ship and the crew, and basically goes to visit this AI specialist, and they have like adventures throughout the universe because she can no longer. Be on the ship. They had to install a different AI because it was too painful for mm-hmm. um the guy who was in love with her to like have this empty shell of what she used to be. But again, she's sentient. So like she's like, I'm sorry I'm not the person you thought I was. It's really a weird, complicated situation. Mm-hmm. Uh the moon is a harsh mistress. We've talked about it before, but the AI decides it's a female, which is
1: very disturbing to the main character.
0: He just he can't handle it. It's really funny. He, what else? We haven't we
1: haven't mentioned the Murderbot.
0: Yes, Murderbot. which I think is why I thought of having an AI episode because uh Matt, do you want to describe the plot of this? It's sure. this this is a um, pop quiz.
2: <laughs> uh, Murderbot is a really great series. Uh it's called the collectively all the books are called The Murderbot Diaries and they're by this uh, author named Martha Wells and uh there are a bunch of uh, short novelettes, uh, novellas um, about this AI who uh, has hacked himself such that he no longer has to is forced to comply with all of the the rules and regulations that uh, humans tell him to, but he does anyways because he likes humans even though he doesn't like to say that he he genuinely likes doing his job as a security robot, um, but doesn't like um, to let anybody know that he does he likes it so. Um, but he, he's sentient, essentially, and he goes on his own little adventures and uh, makes other sentient robot friends and uh, friends with other humans and kind of learns how to be a sentient creature in the world. And uh, it's really cute and funny and, like, lots, lots of action-packed scenes and things. Um, it's
1: very gratifying, too. Like, there are several moments where you're like, oh, good, that's what I wanted to happen. So she, Martha, definitely yeah. gives you that. want to see,
0: Yeah. And I think it's also it is part of this like um, this narrative that you thought of earlier about the slavery because it mm-hmm. comes out like as you spend more time with Murderbot who is the narrator of the series like you understand that he was straight up abused by a lot of people and the reason and it's interesting because for the first couple of books he's terrified of humans even mm-hmm. though he works with them he like he easily kill them yeah he. Basically, they can order him to do anything, including kill himself or kill other people or, you know, whatever. And so he's been at their mercy for so long that he understands that humans are not naturally good. And he under and in fact, a lot of the people he's dealt with are bad. And so he wakes up at one point surrounded by humans. And he said he says it's like a nightmare. It's his nightmare situation, like being vulnerable. Mm. It's surrounded by humans. And so um, you kind of learn and grow with him. And he he learns to express his trauma and to work through his trauma. Uh, He has a therapist at one point, which is pretty interesting. Um, And even though he is the narrator, you can definitely tell where the gaps in his narration, like what he doesn't tell you is more important than what he does tell you. One of my
1: favorite scenes, I think it's in the second book or I'm pretty sure it's in the second one where he, he, some of the humans he meets and is like begrudgingly protecting. Um, but one of them is like, you know, like a, a young woman and they are, um, like sleeping. It's like, she like falls asleep. They It's like they they're in like one of these like rent by the hour kind of motel places. So there's like one bed. So they like lay down and she's like, can I like, it's, it's so innocent because she's just so scared. And then the unbeknownst to her, cause she believes the um, murder bot is like an augmented human. So there's the, you know, there's a transition where he kind of does some stuff to make himself look more human, but like a human that has like computer parts as opposed to a computer with human parts. So she's just so scared. And this guy is like, you know, keeping her safe and helping her and like genuinely giving her good advice and like has rescued her. So he, he's like, yeah, sure, I guess. So they're like, I, if I remember correctly, I think they're sleeping. Like, his back is to her. But he, like, th- through telling a story, he's like, he, like, regulates his breathing as if it's somebody sleeping. And then he, like, ups his, his body temperature to keep her warm and to be, like, comforting to her. And I was like, oh, my God, he just turned himself into, like, this, like, essentially, like, purring heated blanket because he cares about her and he he you know so it's like for all of his like
0: humans yeah
1: like for all his like gaps in like human like understanding human nature or like trying to be human he's he's trying really hard and he does it in like really sweet ways so you get those like little moments of like you're more human or like he's just as human as the best of us i guess
0: yeah i mean he's like he's genuinely kind even though he has all this trauma and he genuinely hates the world, like he he is at his core a kind person, which begs the question: like, there's something inherent in him despite all of the. And we're saying him, but it's a genderless person. I'm just not very good at saying they them. Mm. So because uh, we've all listened to the audiobook, it is a male audio um, narrator, but it is a it's a they them situation. And
1: they say Murderbot instead of he or her.
2: I think that's... So, interesting. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I yeah. think
1: when the interactions are written, I think they, Murderbot, um, al- like, allow humans to identify them as male because that's... Yes. So that that's also, like, you're right, Emily, that's one of those things where, like, Murderbot doesn't have a gender, but other people other humans in the story gender them because yeah. that's what we Interesting. do yeah
0: yeah so they they are not specifically a machine they have organic parts so the the fact that they are kind despite all of the things that have happened to them really speaks to like an intrinsic sentience that is not due to the the computer parts that they have so it's kind of like a it's a gray area it's a liminal stage of technology, like the mm. the overhead projector. He is it's just a
2: big overhead projector, giant
0: overhead projector
2: with guns.
1: So
0: many with, guns. Um, I keep on asking Ethan because I feel like uh, you you can connect us with the the children. You know what the kids <laughs> are watching. <laughs>
3: right. But is Out there a another?
0: Yeah. Is there another uh, movie or media or book that? you connect with this topic?
3: Uh, there's Black Mirror, which I think isn't explicitly about AI, but there's definitely a lot of, um, you know, individual episodes that are about AI. Yeah. Um, just, like, that one's especially interesting to me, I think, because it's so near future. Like, it barely even gets into, um, you know, it's, it's not at all dystopian. Well, it's maybe a couple episodes that are dystopian, <laughs> but it's not, like... It, it it doesn't present a single view of the future but rather how like all these different technologies could progress in you know terrifying ways like uh, I remember one episode in particular someone's um I believe her husband dies and um, she there's the service that offers to go through all of the information that he ever put on the internet every text he ever sent every picture he ever uh, posted and just create like an AI version of him oh my that gosh. is just like him in every way, you know, it could easily pass the Turing test and is completely indistinguishable from him. Um, and then it eventually progresses to the point where she spends a ton of money and, like, buys a replicant body that looks exactly like him and acts exactly like him and wow. is him in every individual way but still just isn't quite him. Yeah. And that it, she knows that it's not really him. He's dead. But it's, like, this really interesting... You know, I don't know. Uh, look into like how AI can replace things, but will never really be those things. That's interesting. That was a creepy episode. Yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. that's <laughs> creepy
0: as heck. It's also a bit about consent, because I mean, obviously, probably that guy would consent to whatever, although it went really far. But like, for <laughs> <He's> instance, <dead. laughs> the the thing that they do nowadays with the holograms in concerts, like Tupac, mm-hmm. Tupac probably would not have liked a hologram of himself. <laughs> greeting Coachella like that was the creepiest moment I think of my life when he was like what's up Coachella and we're like no what is this um so they and like they've done that to Michael Jackson as well and in fact Carrie Fisher specifically said I do not want any uh hologram of myself in any that's why in, in the last Star Wars movie, her dialogue is entirely nonsensical, but it's <laughs> fine because she's in it. I'm fine with it. That's it for today, storytellers. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Don't be a trope, you dopes.
2: Be sure to make your algorithms and their AIs show their work. And embrace the robot overlords.
1: And keep <laughs> telling your stories.